Welcome to a Star Wars Spoilers off-season tour. My name is Dave Gonzalez, and the best weapon to kill a shark is being on land. I don't know uh, why I'd be in the ocean, uh, because that's where the sharks are, so if I had to kill a shark, I would use the natural fact that we're both on land. I'm Joanna Robinson, and the best protection against a shark is being a hot woman in the feature film The Meg, because apparently, spoiler alert, they are immune to sharks. And I'm Neil Miller, and I would definitely have a bomb wrapped in some sort of bloody meat that I would lower from a large boat into the ocean, let the shark eat it, and then blow them up. Because apparently I'm the only one who's trying to kill the shark. <laughs> Neil, would you say that the best weapon against a shark is the chums we made along the way? Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's that's where that's what it should have been all along. <laughs> um, uh, this week on Star Wars Spoilers, it is our own little shark week. That includes talking about some shark movies. We we all watched Deep Blue Sea in terms of like a classic shark movie that you could go on Netflix right now and watch. And then we also all ingested The Meg, the surprise uh, hit for Warner Brothers in this weekend's uh, box office. Uh, and then for our Patreons, Patreon subscribers at patreon.com slash spoilers at the Maester level or above, you will be getting a bonus segment about the new popular film Oscar category which is, spoiler alert, ridiculous. But first, Joanna, do we have any reviews? We do have a few reviews. Thank you so much for asking. Uh, This first one is a response to a review I read aloud last week. Uh, This one is five stars by Sammy Olivaw. Uh, And the title is, Please Continue Talking About Politics. In response to a recent episode of a one-star review that said this podcast shouldn't talk about politics, I will say, keep talking about it. It doesn't matter if a part of the audience doesn't like it. The reason our politics is so polarized today is precisely because we won't talk about it all the time. So I thought that was an interesting point from Sammy. That is an excellent point. And the other one comes from Friend of the Pod, Con of Thrones goer, podcaster in her own right, Daphne Olive, uh, who writes, five stars, your biggest pirate fan. Daphne wrote, I just realized I never wrote a review and should have ages ago. You three are fab and I've always loved listening to you. I just fell down, sadly. I will live in hope that you will cover black sails someday as if I would not bring that up. I'm so happy Neil won a great debate, but I'm still rooting for torment. And then a fire emoji and a heart emoji. Daphne, we should say, made a very good case for torment being the best lover in Westeros, uh, including reading a certain little monologue out loud at Con of Thrones. So... Yeah, it was a real, that was the most competitive one for sure. Yeah, yeah, she made a good case, a real good case. I'm sad that she's fallen down. Yes. Yeah, that's tough. Also, are there sharks in black sails? That's on the water, right? Sure is. Cool, then we just talked about black sails. (laughs) (laughs) It counts. It's like uh, it's like mentioning the Expanse counts as basically watching the Expanse, right? We watched all the Expanse, right, guys? Sure. someday we're gonna have to just um, (laughs) (laughs) someday we're gonna have to do an episode where we cover all the things people have asked us to cover, but 
instead of watching it, we just guess what it's all about. Ooh, we should do that. I think yeah. The Expanse is about Tom Jane and um, a diverse... He's a space detective. He's a space vegan, <laughs> vegan police operative. And a, a diverse crew um, explore space and have... Um, interdisciplinary conflict while they do it. Someone is not a vegan aboard, and we need to find out who the secret Cylons, I mean vegans, are on this ship. That's what The Expanse is about, right? I like this idea, but it should be one episode where we each guess about three, what, three random things we haven't seen her about. And then the other episode, the part two is like the Neil and I OA episode where somebody who does actually watch it has to then explain it to the other two. <laughs> Okay, that's good. That way we can spread out all the uh, <laughs> discoveries of joy and pain and not have, to, not have to shoulder it all together. Anyway. Tell us about the Expanse's dance moves. Exactly. <laughs> now that we've uh, planned out uh, more podcasts on the air, we should uh, talk about this week's podcast, specifically Neil's segment, Storm Chasing. Pew, 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 pew. Hey, the pews are back. <laughs> yes, we are out in the open water chasing down storms, uh, much to the chagrin of Dave. Uh, so, what one movie, show, book, story, podcast, etc.? Joanna, I think you should go first because yours is a really good one. If you've been following my uh, social media at all, you will see me not so humble bragging about the fact that I'm on this like very picturesque road trip with a friend of the pod, uh, Sam Adolfo, who's a moderator over on our Patreon Slack. Anyway, so we've been traveling down the coast of California, and we're going to wind up in Palm Desert. And she, we were talking about that that fact, and she mentions the dinosaurs, the, the dinosaurs, not dinosaurs, uh, that are in... Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> wait, wait, hold on. <laughs> dinosaurs exist? But go ahead. The dinosaurs that are... That's what you should use to kill the shark. <laughs> the dinosaurs. Um, the dinosaurs that are, I don't know, greet you as you enter Palm Springs or Palm Desert, one of the two. And she's like, you know, like in Pee-wee's Big Adventure. And I was like, I've never seen Pee-wee's Big Adventure. And it's Sam's favorite movie. So she's like, we're watching it. So, like, in some hotel somewhere on the coast of California this week, we watched Pee-wee's Big Adventure, which is streaming on Amazon Prime right now for Freezies. And um, I liked it. Nope, I loved it. I was like, do I, <laughs> I love it or did I like it? I loved it. I really did. I loved it a lot. Like, with some time and distance, like, I liked it when I watched it and just thinking about it in retrospect. I'm like, no, I loved that. That was really enjoyable. And, like, Pee-wee is not a thing that I ever, even though I'm the right age, it's not the thing that I, like, I, I watched um, growing up and I never saw Big Top and I never saw the Christmas special. But this is just, like, a really charming, It's you know, it's... Tim Burton's first full-length film. It's really sweet. It's got that, like, throwback 50s vibe that, like, Tim Burton loves. It's so funny. I was talking to... um, I'm currently recording from the bedroom of uh, Kim Renfro, who writes for Business Insider, who you Westworld fans might know. Um, And I was talking to her husband last night. He's a huge Tim Burton fan, and we were talking about this... uh, 
art exhibit that they had at the MoMA like 10 years ago. Dave, I don't know if you saw it, but there's like this Tim Burton exhibition at the MoMA. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And um, I think we've talked about this before. But anyway, I was t- I was talking to Kim's husband, Mike, about it. And I was like, that exhibition is so funny because you start at the beginning with like Tim Burton's childhood sketches and then you like go on from there. And it's like the evolution. I would I describe the evolution of that exhibit as like you're, you go in and you're like, oh, it's like Tim Burton's like, I like the circus. And then it becomes I like the circus. <laughs> <laughs> um so so Wee's big adventure is still very firmly in the i like the circus guess what uh guess what dumbo is gonna be i like the circus so um, so yeah so i saw Wee's big adventure and i really enjoyed it. jan hooks what a fucking delight she is as the like tour guy at the alamo i mean there's a lot of delightful things in that movie but i just like as soon as jan hooks showed up uh, you know, who sadly passed away a few years ago and was just like such a treasure on SNL during her years on that. And then she shows up and she's just like a treat and a half in this movie. Um, yeah, I really liked it. What do you guys, what are your, what are your associations with Pee Wee's Big Adventure? Oh man, middle school, I think. I remember that being like a, uh, like a sleepover movie watch and unlike other sleepover movie watches, it would like keep everybody's attention because it was actually good and not just whatever blockbuster was hawking at us at the time. Neil? Yeah. I've been to the Alamo several times. Uh, have not found the basement yeah, yet. Yeah, is there a basement there? It's so interesting. <laughs> I don't think there is. Uh, no, it's I, I'm kind of like you. I don't really have a, a, any attachment to Pee Wee. Um, <laughs> I guess I'm old enough to remember when it all went... Uh, Went weird for Paul Rubens. But, like, that's um, such bullshit. Like, if that happened now, it wouldn't have been, like, such a career ruiner. Well, it, would, oh, it no. wouldn't happen I mean, now because we all, like, watch porn at home. But, like, for those of you who don't know, like, Paul Ruben got caught masturbating in an adult m- movie theater. And, like, that's really derailed his career. But it's, like... I, now we don't. Really I mean, now he'd be theaters. like in Congress or something. <laughs> <That's true>. um, <laughs> no, but I mean, I Pee Wee's Big Adventure is a, a delightful film. Um, it, it is very Tim Burton off steroids, and uh, and yeah, I've always I've I've always been able to enjoy it. Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Yeah, Neil, what's your storm this week? Uh, so mine is, uh, you know, I talked about wanting to diversify the movies I'm watching. Uh, that didn't happen quite as well as I thought it would because there's still remnants of our big Tom Cruise-a-thon when we watched all the Mission Impossible movies. Uh, I went back. I, I'd been sort of hungering for rewatching the movie Oblivion, which is uh, Tom Cruise and uh, Andrea Riseborough, who I totally forgot was in that movie, um, Morgan Freeman, and post-apocalyptic Jamie Lannister. And that movie's underrated, I am here to report. It's very good. I know a lot of people think it's goofy and there's like a weird twist, but it's a pretty good movie. And it looks really great. And the soundtrack is from M83 is awesome. Uh, one of my favorite like soundtracks to write to. And uh, that's, that's just kind of where I am. I've also discovered uh, not, not too long ago that I can pair my AirPods to my Apple TV, oh. which allows me to watch movies, loud action movies, silently at like two o'clock in the morning, so I don't disturb my whole household, because that's sort of when I want to watch loud action movies. Apparently, 
So this is, uh, you know, so there's a lot of technological discovery going on. I'm just in my picturing this week. like visually, like you on a couch with your headband, with your your pods in, and then just like blue and red, like flashing madly on your face as you're like wide eyed. It's like it's yeah, like two a.m. It's very also like it's great two thousand and one a space odyssey. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Also, it's great. Like, if you have to get up and pee, but it's the middle of the night, so like, why are you going to pause the movie? Like, that seems like a waste of time. So you just that listen late. to it in the bathroom. She just can <laughs> listen to it thirty feet away or whatever. <laughs> what? So what action movie? I guess all action movies actually speak their plot. So good, 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 good call on that. One. Well, yeah. I mean, you have to pick the right moment. You know, um, like pretty much any conversation in that movie that involves Morgan Freeman. I'm just like, mm, I can go get a snack now. So you, uh, my headphones will stay in my ears. I remember you tweeting about this when you were watching Oblivion and I was sort of like checking it out and like, I liked uh, Oblivion. I think Olga Kurilenko is not a very compelling leading woman, but I like Andrea Riceborough a lot. I remember like, isn't there like a really interesting, visually interesting swimming scene, like in a pool? Um, oh Yeah. yeah. But you mentioned on Twitter, you're like, oh, I forgot Andrea Riseborough is in this or whatever. And you're like, she's such a chameleon. And she is a chameleon. She but is. she's also like, she's got some, cri- like, she's both a chameleon because she's a talented actress. And also she just has one of these faces that's like so hard to latch on to. I've had this experience so many times with Andrea Riseborough, like whether or not it's like the Black Mirror episode or Birdman or um, the Emma Stone, Battle of the Sexes. Like... I- I'll be like two thirds of the way from the movie and then I'll be like, oh, it's Andrea Riseborough. But like, it always takes me that long. And I, it's something about her face that's just so, like, yeah. and her talent. Like, she's very talented. She, like, it's almost like she she has like the perfect face for being both interesting and um, like forgettable. Sort of causing face yeah. blindness. Yeah, it's amazing. That's <laughs> um, like a spy, so yeah. like a real life spy treat. Yeah, I guess my my biggest takeaway from my rewatch of Oblivion is one, uh, I like that movie probably more than most people, and two, Joe Kaczynski, who directed that and Tron Legacy, is also doing Top Gun two, and there is hmm. like a dogfight sequence where Tom Cruise is like running away from these drones in his little bubble ship that I'm like, oh shit, this Top Gun two might actually be okay, like it, the action might be good, so it got me actually weirdly excited for Top Gun two. Well, now they've um, they've cast Glenn Powell after all, even though Miles Teller is still in it. So I, I'm more excited now that Glenn Powell is also on board. So nice. Um, can I really quickly say something um, before we roll to Dave's storm chasing? Because we don't have like a correction section usually, right? Uh, oh yeah, I was sorry. gonna. I, I think I know what you're gonna mention, and I was gonna actually mention it too. <laughs> Okay, I just wanted to like make sure that our listeners know that we know we fucked up the which voice actor does Bart Simpson, which voice actor does Lisa Simpson. <laughs> we apologize to both Nancy Cartwright and Yardley Smith for our fuck up. So Yeah. But we are still right about how rich Yardley Smith yeah, is. Both Nancy Cartwright and Yardley Smith. Hello rich. Very rich women. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well it also makes sense because usually when people bring up Nancy Cartwright, I bring up like that she has some weird political views and I like didn't it didn't occur to me why until we were actually corrected the the little the little bell didn't go off in my head but anyway now's not the time 
to derail and talk about Nancy Cartwright's dubious political views. Now is the time for me to talk about a sitcom with dubious views and jokes that I've been rewatching, How I Met Your Mother, because it's on Hulu. I got drawn to Hulu because for Fighting in the War Room, my other podcast, we're doing a quarter quell, which means we each host gets to basically make the other hosts participate in something. Usually it's watching a movie, but uh, my co-host Matt Patches chose... Uh, like trivia show games as his subject. So I watched a whole bunch of Hulu trivia show games that he recommended. And while I was there, uh, saw that How I Met Your Mother was on one of my suggested searches, probably because I share an account with uh, my friend in New York who we also watched the series together as it was airing. And I thought, why not go back and watch some of my favorite moments? You know, some slap bet moments or some like very early season two moments that are more about living in New York, particularly than about, I don't know, characters that haven't aged so well or Ted's uh, hunt for the mother. And uh, I, I don't know. I don't know if I could suggest this to everybody. What I would say to people is if you watched and enjoyed How I Met Your Mother the first time like I did and then were soured on the ending... And now you're a you know socially conscious person that is aware how society has shifted. Going back and watching How I Met Your Mother is a lot like going back and observing your past behavior as a human being. And I think for males that'll echo back, and I think also just for people who are embarrassed by how they acted in their twenties that'll like echo back. So I don't know if it'll touch the same nostalgia button for you listener as it did for me but i definitely feel like it's a series that revisiting isn't just revisiting so i think i'm going to keep pushing through it to go through the problematic series uh and try you gotta go through the problems exactly just to sort of see because it's weird to have a rewatch that is not only this recent in the sense that it's like only what 10 years ago but is this drastically changed by how we view the series, not only because of its finale, but because of Me Too movement and a greater, I think, understanding of uh, how sexual harassment is indoctrinated in young men. So, How I Met Your Mother, a uh, weightier sitcom now than it was when it aired. Yeah, uh, Barney is worth a, a revisit. Barney was a beloved character both to me and like a lot of feminists I know, and now I'm like, wow, that person's a garbage human. <laughs> And I like it was not that long ago that we were just like, oh, Barty, what a scamp. Maybe like softened because we knew Neil Patrick Harris was gay. So like we were like, oh, he doesn't mean it or whatever. And then you watch it and you're like, oh, my God, this person's a trash fire. Wow. Yeah. And and you realize if Ted was actually telling his children all of these stories, he like wouldn't tell those parts to like his children in 2020 something. Yeah. Like society has changed to the point where you leave out all of the Barney parts of the Barney stories. But also, if you imagine that older Ted is just Bob Saget, uh, it kind of makes sense. Yeah, that makes, that makes a lot of sense, actually. Because <laughs> Bob Saget probably would tell that stuff. Yeah, that's a good point. Keep, you know, complete honesty with the kids. Speaking, speaking of comedy uh, that's hard to watch now, go try to watch a Bob Saget stand-up. Oh, I'm just was, like, oh, no. That was like always hard to watch. Well, I don't know. I think that was always hard to watch for me because of the disparity between Danny Tanner and, like, like even Bob Saget's cameo in Half-Baked, you know? Like, I think he shows with Half-Baked and talks a lot of shit, and you're like, that's Danny Tanner, and I cannot reconcile this at all. So, right. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't, yeah, like I said, I don't know if it's worth a revisit, but that's definitely what I'm doing, and I'm definitely having a thing. 
So if you like to have things, we gave you three recommendations to have things with. <laughs> yeah, sometimes you just got to have a thing. Indeed. Are you the kind of cinephile who has been known to use IMDb to track the timeline of someone's career? Or a self-described movie nerd? Then you should be listening to Blank Check with Griffin and David, who together review directors' complete bodies of work, episode to episode. Think M. Night Shyamalan after The Sixth Sense or Christopher Nolan after Batman Begins. Blank Check highlights how accomplished directors use or abuse the freedom earned through escalating critical and commercial successes. Sometimes those checks clear, and sometimes they bounce, baby. The host are comedian and star of Amazon's The Tick, Griffin Newman, and the Atlantic senior film critic, David Sims. Y'all, this is not just another bad movie podcast. Even, even when lambasting some truly absurd filmmaking, their love for these movies shines through. Griffin and David find a special kind of insight through an interpretation of films that others are quick to dismiss. So listen to Blank Check on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you listen to the one with David Ehrlich on it, remember that he's also on a podcast called Fighting in the War Room that he forgets to mention. Whoa. It's like the it's like it's like a Russian nesting doll of promotion. It's a great episode, Crouching Tiger Hidden Dragon. It's fantastic. And we're back for Shark Week time. I don't like sharks. I'm not psyched about these topics, but you know what? The worst is over. I've seen the movies. I've been subjected to the sharks. I've been subjected to the worst thing about sharks, which is the visual of them swimming out of deep water. Which is when they eat someone? (laughs) No, no, no. It's not even that. That is like, at that point, it's, you know, like gore, like underwater. It's everything's being fogged up. That's not the most visual thing. The thing that would freak me out in real life and thereby freaks me out in these movies is deep water approaches. So you're, you're looking under the water and it's all blue and you know there's a shark and it's all blue and you know there's a shark and then you turn your head and the fucking thing just materializes out of the shadows coming for you. That's the absolute worst thing about sharks. Uh, that's why Jaws 3D has that one absolutely ridiculous shot where it crashes into the uh, control room glass that is super cheesy but still freaked me out as a kid and will freak me out uh, to this day because that's the worst thing. Sharks coming from deep water. Now that I've set that bar, we're going to talk about other shark movies and make a great shark movie out of all the other things that everybody else thinks makes a great shark movie. Because not everyone's as freaked out by a single shark image by me. A lot of these are the the greatness of filmmaking, like Jaws, which I think is the, you know, not only started American blockbusters, but probably started the... Uh, the shark cliche movie craze. Neil, what do you think? It's... Nope. Joanna or Joanna. No, go ahead, Neil. Sorry. Oh, sorry. Okay. So the Jaws thing, Jaws is great. Jaws. I, I was actually, now that you said the, the, your um, dislike of sharks coming from deep water, is there an underwater shot of the shark? So in Jaws. No, the shot the shot from Jaws that gives me the same willies is when he's attacking the swimming bay and mm-hmm. you just see the eye as it's rolling over and pulling somebody under. Ooh, but it's yeah. like from the deep comes the eye and I'm like, ah, no. 
Well, yeah, and so uh, Jaws has something a little bit more special, I think, than just like the visual of a shark sneaking up on you. Um, there's the we were trying to break down the elements of like the perfect shark movie, and when I think of Jaws, it's this sense of atmosphere and sense of tension that Jaws builds because the the shark isn't something you see a ton of until much later. Yeah, for like technical and, reasons. Right. And uh, I think that that's, that's one sort of genre of shark movie is like the, the atmosphere and tension. And, you know, it makes me think of stuff like Jaws. Also, Open Water is another one. Um, so, yeah, Jaws obviously starts is where you start the conversation on shark movies. What I found interesting is that there are a lot of shark movies. Mm-hmm. Um, like more shark movies than you probably think there should be. Um, but there's a lot of really good shark movies. Well, that's really all I have to say on Jaws. A lot of them have been recent shark movies are sort of surprised me. If you like Google around, there's been lots of post open water, which I believe was 2004, because I remember that being a big deal. It's sort of like the indie shark movie where some people get caught in the titular open water have to sort of like fight off sharks, but you know, sort of both jaws and I think open water end up dealing like some atmospheric tension just by the restraints of the type of film they are. So it's always interesting to me to see, if uh, holding back the monster, or in this case, the sharks, ends up being like a pacing issue or a plotting issue or something that ends up being like a pleasant mistake because of the type of filmmaking or budget you have. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Joanna, I'm sorry to cut you off before. What What do you have on these atmospheric tension of Jaws? No, I'm, I'm actually, my my thing that I appreciate about Jaws is not atmospheric tension, though it is very good, but it is the characterization. You know, you, you narrow it down. We're going to get to the Meg and what works and what doesn't work about the Meg, but there's a, there's a point in the Meg where it goes wide, as in, like, much wider than our core cast of characters. And that's almost always disinteresting to me like in lost world when the t-rex goes to san diego like i think these kind of movies work so much better when you have like a concentrated core cast and you're with them because um you know the the gold standard for all of these is of course uh tremors so uh you know just just stick with (laughs) just stick with that core cast and you'll be solid so you know um in jaws you've got like three dudes on a boat and all of them are different people with different motivations that are very clear and very cogent. And that's not obviously not the whole film, but that's a good chunk of the film. And um, that I think is what makes Jaws so special. Not just like hiding the monster, which is really, you know, for technical reasons, but is also good filmmaking that that works well too. Um, But yeah, I think it comes down to like, Richard Dreyfuss, Roy Scheider, and I don't know the name of the third guy uh, in Jaws um, because I've only seen it once and just a couple years ago because I'm a a, a a bad shark movie connoisseur. But um, but yeah, that, that's what I think Shark is about. Uh, shark is about Jaws is about is about uh, <laughs> is about character, not not the shark itself. So yeah, you know me. That's my always my thesis is about character. Um, so well, the, for the- we're talking Robert Shaw. Yeah, thank you. The other guy. Yes. Thank you. Uh, for for uh, our 
movie club on our Patreon. If you subscribe at a certain level, you get to co-watch our movie with us because every month we're at least looking back and trying to not force you in the theaters to see The Meg. Uh, this month we watched uh, Deep Blue Sea because it's on Netflix. And Deep Blue Sea is a movie that uh, does not hide the sharks and is surprisingly well-paced uh, from how I remember it. I remembered it as sort of like a B shark movie with LL Cool J and he had a bird in it. And then, of course, I remembered the famous Samuel L. Jackson scene, which if you you know are looking at clips of Deep Blue Sea, it's probably going to be the one that you find because... Uh, as was as was in vogue in the day, uh, uh, sort of like, I guess, executive decision with uh, Steven Seagal. If you uh, kill off one of your major stars early in the movie, it's supposed to upset the stakes uh, for the rest of the film. Uh, Deep Blue Sea has, like, I think its biggest action set piece is within the first half of the movie, and then the rest of the movie, uh, I guess, sort of deepens character, but as they climb out of the uh, structure that they've sort of wrecked it's, uh, themselves into. It's a lot of climbing and almost drowning. We, mm-hmm. the, um, the formula that we worked out when watching Deep Blue Sea with the Patreon kids was that um, the skimpier your wetsuit, the more likely you are to survive uh, the, the shark attack. So, uh, you know... Not, that's not true for every single person in the movie, and I'm not going to spoil the end of the movie, but I'm just going to say skimpy wetsuits make it a lot further than uh, you know more conservative wetsuits worn by people like Michael Rappaport. I guess I did spoil something, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, and also, uh, you know, when we talk about skimpy wetsuits, this is not even necessarily specific to any one gender, because if you're a man with muscular arms, yep. you just need a wetsuit with no sleeves, like Tom Jane. Tom Jane's like, look at my muscles. And you can make Wait, it. Wait, isn't Tom Jane uh, but- on that show, The Expanse? That's interesting. Yeah, he is. He is on the Expanse. Is that about a fish man in space? He's yeah, just a fish I- man. <laughs> Sharks in space. All right. Sharks in space. Uh, but this, but this, th- that's sort of our second uh, big element, which is a dynamic cast, which Jaws obviously has. And a lot of these apply to a lot of these movies. Um, but I think that... You know, one of the things that the Meg tries to do when we talk about that is it tries to have an interesting group of characters together. And Deep Blue Sea is the one that I always come back to because there are a lot of like like open water, Shark Night, 47 Meters Down, all these other uh, sort of popular shark movies. They can get isolated and uh, we're, there's one that we'll talk about that's extremely isolated uh, to, to maybe one or two characters sort of just trying to survive but deep blue one of the things that makes deep blue see the most fun is that we have um there's a scars guard in there there's a sam jackson there's tom jane rapaport who that might be rapaport's best movie uh, I've been it. probably <laughs> let me think about that <laughs> If um, I think about it, I mean, Google it. Um, we've got a Saffron Burroughs I, I like, sighting. I like a minute. Yeah, so um, really great, excellent cast. The bird is actually the only character that I didn't like. So that bird was a dick. I love and... that bird. I love that bird. <laughs> so, but I think, I think having a good cast is really sort of a shark mm. movie hallmark. All right, I'm going to come back with, for Michael Rappaport, I'm going to come back with True Romance... 
and mm. uh, Beautiful Girls, which is a movie I really like, actually. But maybe... Yeah, both of those are really maybe good. Maybe super problematic if I rewatch it now. Probably is. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but there's one thing that I think that there's an evolution in shark movies uh, that we've seen. Uh, you know, you, you have movies like Jaws, you have movies like Deep Blue Sea. There's something about some of the newer crop of movies that is interesting and they're, they're very visceral. And this kind of brings us to our, our next one, which is uh, the shallows, which I know Joanna wanted to talk about as well, because I love the shallows. I love the shallows. I watched it on a plane. So um, the like, you know, the, the shallows is just Blake Lively. And I like, should have watched it on a plane. Yeah. I would have felt safer on a plane. Bl- it's Blake Lively on a rock. Wait, Blake Lively, a seagull, a shark, and a rock. And that's like it. And some water. Uh, and then, like, you know, some other people on shore. Um, yeah, and like some like stuff about her mother yeah. and, you know, whatever. Um, yada, 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 Blake Lively. Uh, Blake Lively is great in this movie. This movie is great. Um, I loved watching it on a plane because it made me, it was like, yeah, it'll make you feel safer, but also, like, it was very claustrophobic. You know, your, like, screen is right there. You're, like, hemmed into your seat. And I was just, like, felt the tension. I've watched a lot of Blake Lively movies on planes, actually. I think that's one. When I'm like most open to what Blake Lively has to offer me, um, but she's she's genuinely great in in the Shallows, and it's genuinely a great movie. And like um, Neil had the Shallows down for like visceral violence because you're with her over the course of I want to say it's like two days. Do you think it is? Maybe three. Yeah. Um, it's between like thirty and forty eight hours. And so like the way she gets wounded, which she you know she does bef- you know before she either beats the shark or dies, um, is like something she has to deal with in a way even more um, you know intricately than like Bruce Willis has to deal with his you know feet in Die Hard or whatever. You know what I mean? Like it's it's just like you're really feeling all of her wounds and all of the things that she has to go through in that. And um, so that's there's that but there's also because it is like i think it is like 48 hours something like that there is this tension there's the tension of the tides and like where she can go and what she can do and the and the shark just circling her i feel like i feel time in that movie obviously much more than any other shark movie and it just um it really really works it's a movie that should not work it's just blake lively on a rock uh uh but it, it really really does i never saw um Fuck, I'm going to mess up the number of hours. 27 hours? Nope. It's 27 dresses. 127 uh, hours. 127 hours is Franco. I never saw that. The one where James Franco yeah. cuts his own arm yeah, off. Yeah, I never saw that. But I imagine it's like like a similar thing where you like, re- like it's it, you have to work hard to make a premise like that really work. And for some reason, it, you know, maybe you've been avoiding the shallows because you think you didn't give a shit about Blake Lively on a rock and a shark. But it's, I think it's. A You'd real, be surprised how much of a shit you, you give. You give all the shits. Dave, <laughs> Dave, how did you feel about the shallows? Uh, I, I liked it. I remember liking the seagull a lot, uh, but I don't think I will ever rewatch it. It was, I think, um, even though it was good, the tension is what allowed me to propel my way through it. I think uh, watching it, knowing all the steps it was going to take, uh, would normally I'd be fine sort of uh, shrinking back to a second watch that's more about technical filmmaking, but I don't know if that would be able to keep my interest. I will say this, um, 
many people are saying or have said that the CGI of the shark in the shells is maybe the top, probably the best looking digital shark. It's really good. I think uh, I was just watching a whole bunch of shark clips just to try to catch up on some CGI sharks I might have missed along the way. Being somebody who did not Sharknado, unfortunately. Uh, <laughs> but someone who did Giant Shark versus Giant Octopus. Uh, because that was just bad enough. Uh, but yeah, The Shallows is really good. Uh, I think the reef is like a combination of actual photography with like some CG enhancements. That ends up uh, being really good. And then, uh, what is it, 47 meters deep. Uh, just knows how yeah 47 meters knows how to how to light its effects uh probably the best if we're gonna if we're gonna do a quick polygon shark (laughs) ranking of shark shark polygons yeah yeah the newer things definitely figure out uh methods to make it work uh like a lot of the 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 40 47 meters down or 47 meters uh lighting is a lot like is it 47 meters down I don't know. What I is just that remember, stupid movie called? I think there is going to be. Yeah, it's it's some girls yes. in a shark cage get dropped, however many it's, meters down. It's Mandy Moore and Claire Holt getting dropped forty-seven meters Claire down. Claire Holt, uh, f- <laughs> forty-seven, right? <laughs> so uh, that, but yeah, they light the sharks in that one. I think a lot more like uh, the megalodon and. Uh, the second Jurassic World in that opening sequence where it's like sort of monster lighting and that ends up working really well. Uh, even though I said at the beginning, the scariest thing is like deep water because just the ocean provides its own lighting. If you're going to, if you're going to bump it up, like deep water flares is a really good way to naturally light your shit. I, okay. Mm-hmm. So I know I jokingly brought up tremors earlier, and I know we get a lot of shit for talking about too much about Tremors, but I do genuinely want to say, and we did say this when we talked about Tremors before, that Tremors is a shark movie. It's just a shark movie on land. And um, uh, that, to me, I mean, Jaws is obviously a classic, but like I think Tremors is the best shark movie, even though it's on land, because it's just like um, tightly scripted beautiful reveal of the monsters just the first movie and like you know beautiful reveal of the monsters and also the need to sort of like scientifically figure certain things out about the monsters stuff like that and in tremors the science actually works of like well because it's made up but the science actually works of like don't move whereas in the meg which we're about to talk about they just made up a bunch of shark science and like that's fine like all these movies though make up shark science and it's like why don't you just create a mythical creature if you're gonna like do that why like why make up shark facts confuse people give i mean some of these some of these movies make up shark science i don't think the shallows has any science it's true the shallows is pure the shallows is the well (laughs) except for the shark being like super bloodthirsty and specific about who it wants to eat yeah that's true I i think that in reality that shark would have fucked off after like the shark is like, I don't give a shit, bitch. Swim ashore. Who cares? Right. Yeah, it's true. He's like, I got other shit to do. <laughs> my uh, my favorite shark science is of, of the ones we've mentioned. I think including giant shark versus or mega shark versus mega octopus is a uh, deep blue sea, where they introduce that the sharks can swing backwards and use that once, 
in that one. They're like, oh, look, the sharks can swim backwards. They shouldn't be able to do that. And you're like, oh, man, that's I bet that has consequences later on because now they could be anywhere. But like, no, the shark doesn't really swim backwards again. And then two, the, the idea of Deep Blue Sea is they're smart sharks and they made the sharks smarter so they could extract like some sort of liquid from their brain that's supposed to fight Alzheimer's. And they test this by extracting the liquid and then just pouring the liquid on an infected brain sample. Like it's not treated, it's like directly from shark brain on the human brain. They're like, it works, it's a miracle. It's great. Everything's it's great, great now. Science. We cured it. Yeah. Um, well, let's say, I, I want to go back to something Joanna said about watching it on the plane and the claustrophobia. I think there is, um, and this also relates to tremors. Um, there is this I, this notion. Uh, one of the sort of great things about shark movies is they can very quickly go from being like a stuck in the desert movie, like isolated just dying because of you know you're on a boat in the middle of the ocean and there's nothing to being an extremely claustrophobic movie uh about being underwater so they combine those two elements where it's like you know this this idea of like having to work against nature uh in multiple ways but then you know as we see we will talk about with the meg there's you know if you go underwater all you can hear is your own breath. It's like, it's similar to, you know, thrillers that are set in space where it's just like one person's out in space and it's like, well, that's terrifying. And it's, uh, you know, if you're, if you're a claustrophobic person, that's individually terrifying. So I think, um, the best shark movies capture sort of all of that. I don't know if Jaws does cause there's not a lot of underwater stuff in Jaws, but Jaws is special sort of on its own. Jaws is the exception to all of the rules. Um, well, it's just like Jaws is one of those movies where if you watch it now, you aren't like blown away by things because everything is just copied Jaws, right? And so like Jaws right. being the progenitor of all these things. Not that it's the first like uh, big creature underwater thing. I think we talked about this. I think we talked about this on this podcast before where I like made Dave watch this 1940s video of like a giant squid attacking Ray Milan mm. underwater. Um, so like, you know, there, there are, are like 20,000 leagues under the sea is like that. Like there are things that predate jaws, obviously, but people like, have always been scared of what's in the yeah, ocean. But like, you know, there's just something very special about what jaws was and what it means for cinema in general. Um, which, and you mentioning that Jaws has spawned so many of these movies also brings us to the final category. Well, there's really two more categories of shark movies. One is documentary, which is all of the stuff you see on Discovery Channel, um, which is real sharks, which I don't personally like watching because I don't want to know what's really down there. Um, I would much prefer to just assume the Meg is down there and never go there. Uh, then know what's real. But there's also what I like to call the complete nonsense subgenre of shark movies, which includes stuff like Sharknado and pretty much all the Jaws sequel. Well, everything from like Jaws 3 on. Because I think Jaws 2 was like they very earnestly tried to make a sequel to Jaws and it just didn't quite work the same. Um, but then there's there's five Sharknado movies. Um, including this is one of my favorite things about the Sharknado franchise. Just as an aside, is the poster taglines. So the first one is Sharknado. Enough said. And then the second one is Sharknado. The second one, Shark happens. The third one, 
probably the best one is Sharknado 3. Oh, hell no. <laughs> uh, and then there is Sharknado The Fourth Awakens, which is trying to ape uh, Star Wars. It came out uh, very close to The Force Awakens. And then Sharknado 5. What was Sharknado 5 called? Oh, Global Swarming. So, um, you know, Sharknado's stupid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it has kept both Ian Ziering and Tara Reid um, employed. Yeah, I, I, I guess. I, I, yeah, it's employed. There's also one that has John Cena in it. Um, so, you know, shouts to Sharknado, mm. the first of which... <laughs> is uh, the first Sharknado movie. I was looking up the Rotten Tomatoes list of like the best shark movies. Sharknado's number two. It has an 82% score on Rotten Tomatoes. I believe that to be ironic. Probably. I was looking at the... What I was trying to find the stupidest shark movie, of course, having not done the Sharknado's, watched the trailer right before this episode for Ghost Shark. Mm. And it kind of sold me on wanting to see it. So, okay, it's a ghost shark which means it could manifest anywhere there's water uh, and it glows blue. So I don't have to worry about it necessarily sneaking up on me from deep water, but it, like in the, in the, the trailer, it gets somebody in a bathtub because she makes the mistake of getting wet. And then it sets off what it looks like, like the fire alarm in a school, which allows it to swim like through the mist of the hallways. And I'm like, you know what? Ghost shark that, that that's intriguing enough that maybe maybe I'll give you a chance, <laughs> but that does sound like complete nonsense. Yeah, wow, guys, is it time? Just, there's a lot. Is it time for us to talk about the Meg? I th- I think it's probably uh probably time. I would like to say though one quick thing, uh, Jaws: The Revenge, 1987. Mm. Um, <laughs> Damn, what? what was that noise? <laughs> Jaws the Revenge. Mm. There's, okay. there's. T- if you think the jaw that the the shark in the shallows is a revenge murder bot, you haven't seen Jaws the Revenge. Yeah, there's two things I love about Jaws the Revenge. One is that it is a movie in which Michael Caine and Mario Van Peebles both star, and it has the best shark in a long line of shark movies with great poster subtitles. Jaws the Revenge is the best one. It's Jaws the Revenge. This time, it's personal. Yes. It's after the Brody oh, wife. Is that, where that, is, that, is that where it comes from? Probably. That's great. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's the, the shark is a maybe hallucination shark, but definitely a shark with a mind for revenge to avenge its shark family that has been targeted by the Brody family in the previous Jaws movies. Yeah, it's, it's like the Godfather Three of shark movies. Yeah, that's Only that's bad. why I made that sound. It, Jaws: The <laughs> Revenge is is a is a three finger mwah kiss uh, of of shark movies. Uh, th- that time it was personal. Uh, this time it won't be personal when we talk about the Meg. After, or is it? <laughs> or is it? Or is it personal talking about the Meg? Are we just talking about our friend Megan? Find out after the break. All right, guys, before we get to the Meg, we have to do a little house business, uh, business for our Patreon subscribers, our small council. We must name some names 
And I forget, Dave, we're doing all the names, last names too, right? Apparently, the mispronunciations are funny, uh, even though they make me feel awkward. Maybe that's the point. Oh, wait, maybe those two things are connected. Yes, both names. All right, so I'm going to start us off uh, where we have worked our way into the D's. We have Delane Mitchell. We have Dre. Single name. Love it. We have Dumb Pockets, which is also a name. We have Dylan Wooten. We have Eleanor Corkish. We have Ellen Rabin. We have Ellen Chen. We have Emily Relf. We have Aaron Goerek. We have another Aaron who's just Aaron. Uh, that's a very Madonna thing. Uh, we have Fanny Martin. We have Phoebo Troilo. Yeah. We have Felix Jazz. I know both of those words. We have Fiona Grimm. And then we have someone who uh, just goes by G, which I always appreciate. Very to the point. Good old G. Uh, we have a gate crew girl. All one world. One world. All one word for one the one world. world. One, One world gate crew girl. Uh, great on toast, who is uh, Greg Jagger, Gretchen Linden Smith, uh, Gustavo Villarreal, Hannah Watkins, Heather Walsh, Holly Hunt, Hope Shock, Huang Lee, Ira Storm. That's either just, that's just cool. That's a cool last name or a good shout out, either way. Uh, Iski I. Jabberly, one name, James Cooper, and James Heath. Alright, I'm gonna I'm gonna thank Jarrett Green, Jen Calhoun, Jennifer Quinn, Jim Scott, Jocelyn, Joe Jenka, John Spencer Howard, Jonathan Bartlett, Jose Cordova, Josh Froscheiser, Josh Dillard, Joshua Lane, Judy Wick. Julie C. Bailey and Julie S. Thank you all, especially you, Ellen. Shout out. Thank you all very much. The Meg was first optioned in the year of our Lord, 1997, uh, in the post-Jurassic Park craze of dubious science being adapted into monster movies. Right? Yeah, that's what Jurassic Park did. Let's say yes. Uh the Meg got picked up. It's adapted from uh, a book also called Meg. Uh, and now it's a Jason Statham movie after being bounced around studios for a long time. I'm not sure how many times the script has changed. And the only reason I wanted to bring up uh, the year the Meg was bought is the Meg is not paced like any movie from this decade that I remember in terms of like a big action movie, even an August dumping ground movie. Uh, which is why I, along with uh, most box office prognosticators, was surprised when it made like $44 million over the weekend, which opened larger than Ready Player One. It beat Ready Player One in terms of opening weekends, and that was supposed to be Warner Brothers' big summer movie. So Jason Statham and, uh, you know, against a giant Megalodon, uh, at least one giant Megalodon, semi-spoiler alert, uh, we all subjected ourselves to it. I think it's freshest in Joanna's mind. Joanna, what do you think of the Meg? Um, it's funny. The Meg. You can see so many of the um, 
I'm not surprised the Meg did well, actually, because I think a lot of people like really enjoyed uh, the trailer. It was a well-cut trailer uh, with a little bit of Bobby Darren on it. Uh, in the movie itself, the Star Trek is, of course, some, I think, Thai version of the great song Mickey. Um, you're you're so fine, in parentheses. Um, <laughs> the, um, the Meg... Uh, Statham is great in the in the Meg. Statham is great. And when you when you started Dave with this interesting factoid, but when it was optioned, you're like, now it's a Jason Statham movie. And I'm like, no, it's a Jason Statham franchise. <laughs> like, yeah. this is definitely the first of many Megs we will see on the horizon. Um, yeah, I, I, I like Statham a lot in this movie. Um, I'm not certain how I feel about nearly everyone else in this movie, especially Ruby Rose, who I think is deeply dreadful in this movie. Um, but it had... What? You didn't like Jax with two X's? Remember that part? She looks concerned as well as everybody else looks concerned. <laughs> no, there's that part where they like make her cry and she, so and bad. she can't. And then like... Remember... When I was talking about how I'm not sure Ruby Rose is a good actress. No, I said that. I said that. You guys were all <laughs> I like. I also have similar concerns. You guys were all like, Ruby Rose Batwoman. I was like, Ruby Rose sucks. So go to the tape. I said that last week. I feel like we need to go to the tape. Oh, ha- happily. Happily. <laughs> um, this was my thesis last week. And it was borne out by the Meg. Um, uh, I do enjoy the way that. Well, this is the one thing about how much Ruby Rose sucks in this movie. Is that. Um, it really confirms that Angelina Jolie's career is not about her looks. Because Ruby Rose looks like, you know, a knockoff Angelina Jolie, basically, right? She's beautiful. What a beautiful, beautiful human Ruby Rose is. But she's not talented at all. And Angelina Jolie is enormously talented. So, like, for anyone who is ever like, Angelina Jolie is just a pretty... Uh, pouty face. No, that's Ruby Rose. Angelina Jolie is something else altogether. And she's very talented and we like her very much. Anyway, um, yeah. Um, what's interesting about these movies that are like so cynically made to appeal to certain audiences, like Grown in a Lab, is like you've got, um, like, uh, it makes sense to me that this project would have like a multicultural uh you know element to it that this 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 fictional project of like these these people are studying whatever under the water uh whales and and stingrays and stuff uh no, no, we don't we don't we, I don't think we ever learn what they're actually studying or but. yeah or uh, oh no they're studying what's underneath this they're this, going through yeah, the yeah they're going through this hydrogen cloud something uh they're going through the layer but um it makes sense that they would have an international uh crew aboard but just like whenever i see like a lot of um you know if like no notable asian actors show up uh in a thing i'm like was this pivoted towards an asian audience like to appeal as much to an asian audience audience as it is to an American audience. And there's nothing like on its face wrong about that. But at the same time, it just feels like slightly cynical, if that makes any sense whatsoever. That's that's really interesting because I I saw it the same way, but I felt like this was slightly less offensive than it normally is. So like you think about like movies that big blockbuster movies that pander, especially to China, uh, because there's a huge market in China. So like you think about like age of Ultron had that weird, like diversion to where they're in China. Every transformers movie has to have one scene in Hong Kong. Um, this one, at least it's set off the coast of China. Right. Uh, 
there are you know the the, there are several uh, Asian characters who are sort of pivotal to the whole thing. Uh, Lee Bing Bing, who's awesome. Um, and like it ends, it, it ends the, the big sort of climactic sequence uh, in the third act. Uh, this is not a spoiler. It takes place off the coast of China as well. And I thought it was just very interesting. It's like, it felt more natural to me than some of the movies that, uh, try to wedge in something in, you know, Asia to, to, you know, sort of pander. And so I thought that was actually kind of okay. <laughs> um, but obviously there is sort of a cynical thing to it, but it also has um, Jason Statham, who is a universal talent. Statham's great. <laughs> Statham's fucking great in this um, movie. I really like him in this movie. <laughs> can I, I would like to pitch a new genre of films. Um, which is, and I don't want to see this borne out uh, too specifically, but the new genre that I like is Jason Statham is good with kids. So, oh yeah, I was thinking about it, him like protecting the baby in Fast and Furious, right? Protecting yeah. the baby in Fast <laughs> yeah, and yeah, the yeah. Furious. I don't want to see Jason Statham as like a babysitter. In fact, I'm probably... The I'm, pacifier, maybe? S- somewhere in my mind, there's a Jason Statham movie. Is that the pacifier? No, that's a... That's a Dwayne the Rock Johnson vehicle, but oh, so I don't want to see Jason Statham make that movie, but I would like to see them continue to uh, find ways to make Jason Statham charming by having him interact with children, uh, because he has a bunch of scenes with uh, this little girl played by Sophia Kai, and she is delightful, it's adorable, and he, and he is also like charming in like a everybody's tough uncle you know, the, the uncle who will protect you or, um, whatever. And I really enjoyed that part of the movie. Um, I, uh, it was yeah. the Jason Statham is good with kids. It was sort of, I, I was talking about this in the lift on the way. So I'm, I'm in LA right now. We went to go see this at the Cinerama dome at the arc light, uh, which is a great place. It was, you know, it's huge dome, huge screen. There were like 10 of us in the middle of an afternoon uh, in the theater. It was, it was a great fun, fine time in the movies, but um, our Lyft driver on the way home, we were talking about it and I was like, I was like, yeah, I feel like that, uh, you know, Jason Statham is, is good with kids was very much like the saving the cat of this movie. Like you like Statham's character because he's like so nice and good with this little girl. That's the saving the cat, which is like a screenwriting term for like make your hero save a cat. And then you like them right off the bat. And, uh, and our lift driver was like, are you a screenwriter? I was like, no, I'm not. And she was like, she's like, oh, because, you know, Save the Cat feels like a dead giveaway. I was like, no, I forgot what town I am. No, I am not a screenwriter at all. But um, I want to talk about. But your lift driver was like, I am a screenwriter. Oh, I'm sure. Ever- <laughs> Would you like to read my she script? Was lo- uh, our lift driver was lovely. <laughs> she might also be a screenwriter. Um, the I'm here to feminist wet blanket the Meg. Um, and say after after seeing the Mission Impossible movies and hearing Christopher McQuarrie talk about how um, he refuses to ever damsel uh, the women in those movies, it really bothered me that uh, Lee Bing Bing has to be saved like four times by Jason Statham. It bothered me that uh, she's wrong every time, and he's when you have a character who's right every time. That that kind of thing, and it's just one character. Everyone's wrong except this one character who's right every time, and that's Jason Statham in this movie. And like, uh, when you have a woman uh, say to our macho like male action hero, "Just let me do what I do best," 
and then fuck it up and need to be rescued. I really hated that. And we were, I was, I, you know, I saw with, with Sam Adolfo and Kim Renfro and we were talking the car and, and um, we were talking about how Jason Statham basically negs her character. And I was like, yeah, this movie should be called The Neg. And, uh, <laughs> and we were like, yeah, Jason Statham is the Negalodon. So um, yeah, I, I really like, they get almost there, you know, cause she's like a scientist and she's like quasi capable, but they still like make her way too, you know, much of a damsel. And then he needs to, he needs to dive in barefoot in order to like save her. And I just I, like, you don't need that in order for Statham to be, seem tough. She can be tough too, uh, alongside with him. And, and they just, I think they, they missed the mark on that. Uh, I also really hated Rain Wilson's character, and not even enough that I was like excited when, when spoiler alert, he died. Uh, Dave, what did you think of the Neg starring Jason Statham? Yeah, you guys put a lot more thought into this movie than I did. I was just like, man, this is a lot of boring talking in between us fighting this shark that technically the pressure should have killed when it moved from the low pressure system in the Mariana Trench through the Mariana Trench in a bubble of hot water with another Megalodon, there's absolutely no way the pressure doesn't uh, crush bust those sharks instantly. So after that happened and I saw it stop moving and uh, menace a little girl, which you could see in the trailer, I was all ready for super smart monster shark, uh, but the movie's not interested in doing that. Instead, it wants to transform from claustrophobic drama into Jaws 3 uh, assault on a theme park, essentially, Um, which makes it, I don't know, it doesn't, it doesn't lean enough into its science for it, for me to believe that a large predator would be capable of being as horrible as it is. Like by the end of the, by the third act of the movie, they're like, it's up to us to stop it. Or it's going to kill hundreds of people. I'm like, or it's just going to like hunt some whales and like a, a, a wildlife preservation you know, group is going to find it and figure out how to deal with it. Isn't it an animal after all? But no, because we have to have, you know, a shark debt that, you know, so we could snap at Jason Statham's feet as he's barefoot diving, which apparently he actually does. So I guess that's why it's in the movie. But I, yeah, I never even stopped to think of these people as actual characters. So I don't think I could say that it even worked to me at the level that I could be like, uh, Lee Bin Bang was good. She was fine. But I don't, like, she wasn't a character. She was an actress in a shark movie. There's nothing, nothing clicked about this for me except I think the uh, one sequence where they do the deep focus thing that I was talking about where Statham's looking above and below the water to try to find the Meg. And he looks down and suddenly the Meg is there. Surprise. And like stuff like that worked on me, but it's, it's like jump scare level scares. I don't, I did not like the Meg at all. I mean, I'd be more interested if we're going to do a franchise about this to not make giant underwater monsters part of it. Like just let, Jason Statham's Jonas character go back to deep sea rescuing. The least interesting thing about this movie is the shark and everything else is interesting enough for like one sentence. It's a long movie. It felt like a long 
movie. It's way too long for like what it's, you know, it's an hour 52 minutes. It should be like 70 minutes, to be honest with you. And, um, and there's just weird tonal shifts. That being said, like, I want to keep going back. I love Statham in this movie. And I think you could build a great, like, the Meg 2 with Statham. I'd probably go see it because, like, I think it could be fucking great, you know, um, if you sort of strip some extra stuff away. Um, to re- return to my wet blanket feminist uh uh, persona for a second. I will say that I do like that uh, Lee Bing Lee Bing Bing is age appropriate for Jason Statham. She's in her forties, and I think that's kind of rad. Um, but and a mom, and that's cool. Uh, but Ruby Rose is very terrible in this movie, <laughs> and, should, and, sh- and should have died way before all the other dudes who died before her. So, or she didn't die at all. So, yeah, she really isn't good at acting. No, like she's good at glowering is, or like looking angry. Why is her hair soaking wet the whole movie? Why is it like... <laughs> it's hard to say. I will say, you know, I mean, in in the end, I think Dave's probably right. The shark is kind of the least important thing because by the end of this movie, I was confused as to how many sharks there were. Um, I think there might have been three. I'm not sure. Uh, but I will watch Jason Statham continue to almost get killed by them for at least three more Absolutely. movies. Absolutely. So I think that's kind of where I am. But I also agree with you guys that it's a little, there's just too much movie. Yeah, here. way too much movie. Um, remember that part, of the, like, remember is, that part of the movie where the doctor, who's really important, you know, because he can help injured people, sacrifices right. himself. Where he sacrifices so himself Ruby and then Rose someone literally live. dies yeah. because yeah. of it. Yeah, Remember the part um, in the movie where um never mind i can't remember the other part that i want to say <laughs> remember when the dog's swimming oh. uh, in the open water for 30 minutes before it gets rescued remember well well t- i'm team pippin i'm really glad pippin survived uh remember how there's a little girl on that floating station and they don't immediately fucking airlift her out of there and instead like bring her along on some of their shark uh confrontation adventures even though she is remember a how, child. <laughs> remember how they all almost die and they finally get back to the research station and the rich guy is like, I'm so sad with all you guys, but I got to catch this helicopter. Well, he's like, the ship will be here tomorrow. I have alerted the Chinese government. Actually, my favorite, I, we have not yet mentioned my favorite line of the movie, which is, um, I think it's Dr. Zhao, I think is his name, uh, says uh, he's already proven that he's aggressive towards boats. <laughs> When talking about <laughs> the Meg. Anyway, also the name of this movie, this whole movie is a lie. It's the Megs. Just spoiler alert. Yeah, there's two Megs. It's the Megs. Mm-hmm. Spoiler also, alert. I, I, they could have just been a hundred normal size sharks. You could have. It would have been just as exciting. I don't. I don't understand this movie. I like. I, okay. I I would have seen the version of this movie that is just the first part where they have to go down to this like lost world, Mariana Trench world, and things are attacking them in the dark, and not only is there a squid, there's at least one Meg. Great movie. Comes up, looks like things are going to resolve. You get this whole doctor plotline out of the way. Everyone says they're sorry. His ex-wife is alive. Uh, he has a great moment with the kid. You're not even, you're, you're not even halfway You've only the lost exactly. the dude from Heroes. Exactly. Hero from Heroes, who right. dies a hero. Uh, but yeah, it's there's way way too many movies, way too many Megs. 
but you know, it did really well. So there could be. So I guess what we're seeing is if you have made it this far and you haven't seen the Meg, you should a hundred percent do that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, I would say wait until it's somewhere streaming before the Meg two comes out and then catch up just so you know, you know, what's up with Jonas. The Meg why he's so traumatized to electric boogaloo. Can we also for a moment talk about the beginning of the film when they first introduced Jason Statham's character and he's living in Thailand as a drunk? There's two things. One, I never I would not believe that Jason Statham would dress like that. What's going on with that hat? Yeah. Two, I don't buy Jason Statham as a drunk. If he would have gained like 20 pounds because he goes from being like... Not a beer like, drunk either. And there are always, you always have a beer in your hand. And right. Like later we see him shirtless. I'm like, that guy has not had a beer. That guy has not had a beer ever. Yeah. So um, for the next one, if he's going to go back to drinking, I mean, he's probably happy now that he's killed the giant shark. Spoiler alert. <laughs> um, but if he goes back down into the deep, dark hole of depression... I need Jason Statham to not have I need a, 12 ass. I need a beard at least. <laughs> like, at least a sure. beard. But yeah, you're right. At least yeah. some pudge over the abs. Like, if in the sequel we find out that, like, the Meg came back and it ate uh, Lee Bing Bing's character and now it's just Jason Statham and the little girl yeah. going after the shark, I'm 100% for that, but he's got to gain some weight. Oh, okay. So that happened, but he got depressed first. So the little girl has to go, like, find him. And he's like uh, shirtless, bare knuckle boxing, like in the Himalayas. Yes. And every every time we have a new Meg movie, we have to go save Jason Statham from doing some other thing from himself. That deep sea dive. Yes. Exactly. Right. Um, yeah, we have to get him away from his self destruction. How do you? Which is obviously not hurting his physical. Form. How do you think that Masioka, who played Hero on the on the show Heroes, feels about doing this like thick? Japanese actor accent when he speaks fluent, unaccented American English. How do we feel about that? Isn't it? Isn't it, isn't it Chinese? <laughs> no, he's he was born in Tokyo, but like he's yeah. doing like a thick like L for R's accent in this movie when he speaks perfectly unaccented English. So, just curious if you had any thoughts on that. I, just, I, mean, I think they were trying to writing, dial up isn't accents. It, isn't it Chinese? I thought he was writing in Japanese. Oh, oh god! I might, be, I might have been wrong. Yeah, I'm not good at uh, seeing characters in ballpoint pen and necessarily recognizing them. So. I just had to like I, I I saw him in this movie and I was like I swear Masioka like does not have an accent. Like this accent sounds offensive to me, and if it's his actual accent, then I apologize. And then I looked up an interview and I was like, yeah, that's not his accent. So he just like slathered that on. I don't know, whatever. I, I like I more than anything I just feel like bummed for Masioka if that's something that he felt was asked to but do. But he was very heroic. Heroic, yeah, he was. <laughs> uh, one thing that kind of bothered me about the Meg, I I will also admit that I paid sixteen dollars to see a matinee IMAX screening for this mm. thing. So that's a lot. That's a high bar to clear. Um, but the theater was mostly empty, so that was worth it. It was worth it just to be alone for two hours. Um, but I didn't really get anything out of the score or no. 
like the score didn't really build tension. Like the most of the tension that we get is visual. So like Dave talked about the great sequence where Statham's like in the water alone. He's trying to tag the shark and he's just like constantly like going under and up to the surface and back under to like figure out where the shark is. And eventually the shark is like, Oh, right there. Um, but that's one of the sort of hallmarks of good shark movies is like a decent score. Like deep blue sea has a decent score. Jaws obviously has one of the greatest scores of all time. Um, kind of a letdown on the Meg when it comes to the sonic elements. And there are other places where the movie does it very well. Like when, um, Lee Bimming's character goes down in the shark cage and you can hear her breathing and that's all you really hear. Like, that's really good. So, like, from a technical perspective, there are, it's a real mess. Like, it's, there's some really good stuff in there. And then there's some just, just nothing. Like, just nothingness. Yeah. And I mean, like, I think that bothered me. I think that's the sequence that, even though Joanna's right that she has sort of get damseled, I think that if there's, if there is a successful sequence with the shark in this movie, it has to be that one because that's the only one that is allowed to have a scale that is any like noticeably consistent because that thing's constantly in its mouth. Uh, also it has my favorite line, which is when Jason Statham just jumps off the boat and goes in rain. Wilson just yells out, hell yeah, which (laughs) is kind of what my, what my body did at that time. I was like, yeah, here we go. My second favorite line of the movie is when, um, they're sort of apprising a drunk, not fat Jason Statham of the situation and they're like your ex-wife and I just started laughing so hard because they had not established that like Liz was his ex-wife I was like of course it's his ex-wife trapped in a submarine down at the bottom I hope um, that his ex-wife and uh, the leader of the crew who was previously on Fear the Walking Dead and also Whale Rider uh, are boning hardcore. And that's why they're pushing so hard for him to like hook up with Leaping Bang. This is the fan fiction. Yeah, I, I got that vibe. No, I, I legit got that okay, vibe. Good. They're like, hey, date this lady. So it's not weird that we're boning. Also, um, uh, of yeah. course, I'm going to go out and help you with that shark. I want to be your Listen, best friend. <laughs> you can't you can't put that many good looking people underwater together without some of them mixing it up uh it's true it's true uh you know but ruby rose and her greasy hair will live to hook up with someone else on another day <laughs> so and the second uh, one she hooks up with the shark cliff curtis is that actor um yeah yep. i can't believe you guys remember quotes i feel like this movie's already leaving me like every second like is the shark brown i'm starting it's flashes yeah it's like a brown yeah Um, i don't get it i mean honestly i think that you know six months from now or whenever the meg 2 comes out in a year and a half the only thing we're going to remember about it is jason statham v shark uh that towel scene is what the ladies will remember jason statham's 12 beer Abs. His beer engorged yep. abs. <laughs> His twelve pack abs. Twelve chiseled pack by constantly having a beer in his hand. Yep. All right. It's a lot of lifting. Uh, did we do it? I we, think we did the bank. I think that that's that's good enough. At least until <laughs> apparently this ridiculously bad shark movie is getting a sequel. I can't stress to everybody. Deep Blue Sea is on Netflix for free and it's paced ridiculously well. Don't worry also, about Jaws is uh, still amazing. 
Also, and Jaws is also, also the Shallows. It's a great movie. Also, the Shallows is great. Yeah, Shallows is good. We we mentioned a lot of good shark movies just towards the beginning of the podcast, not in the part about the Meg. Uh, all right. So abandoning the things of my nightmares, Neil. What are we doing next week? Well, next week we're talking about different kinds of nightmares. We're going to talk about the modern state of the rom com. Oh, yeah, I see forgot nightmares. We were doing that. Yeah. <laughs> this uh, is what you call really, counter programming to the bank. Yeah. Well and, and the, the idea is we're gonna we're gonna see crazy rich Asians, correct? Yep. Yeah. Yes. I well I was gonna see it anyway, so bonus. Uh, so we're gonna watch that. Uh, you know, we'll we'll talk about other recent romantic comedies. I may even go see the spy who dumped me, because that's um, although that feels more like a bromance. But oh, the, oh! Know. See, look, it's, uh, it is good that I watched Time at Your Mother. I'm gonna sure I'm gonna have. I'm gonna have. Uh, I'm gonna have some sort of thesis about the the line. You could go back and see problematic rom coms. I would say if you're gonna watch, um, like, you should definitely watch Crazy Rich Asians. But I think also yes. if you really care about rom com in its truest best form right now, you should watch the TV show Lovesick, which is also streaming on Netflix. That is like, you know, Chef Kiss, uh, perfect. Uh, rom-com i love that show so much so lovesick streaming on netflix it's a british show there's like three seasons and i think they're like eight half hour episodes or something like that so it's a quick watch uh if you want to get started on that i recommend it nice sweet all right next week falling in love or talking about the state of falling in love in pop culture depending on how good next week goes we'll find out next week uh until then guys where can people find more of your work online let's start with neil miller i can get me over filmschoolrejects.com i am actually in the midst of writing a big article about the topic of our bonus segment which is the popular film oscar and so if you're if you're a member of the patreon you're gonna get a spoiler for an article that i'm writing that you can read later on filmschoolrejects.com uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at Rejects, and uh, don't forget to follow the show at Storm of Spoilers, or email us if you have shark thoughts or rom-com thoughts uh, over at stormofspoilers at gmail.com. And Joanna Robinson. Uh, you can find me on uh, Twitter at Joe Wrote This. You can find me talking about the HBO series Sharp Objects on the Still Watching feed for Vanity Fair. Um, and otherwise, you will see me next here next week talking about love. Uh, and you can find me on Twitter. Oh, I'm Dave Gonzalez. You can find me on Twitter at DA70. Pinned to the top of my profile there is uh, something I wrote for Polygon.com. I saw Slenderman, and they definitely cut a whole character out of that movie. Uh, figure out what that means and why they did it at Polygon.com under my byline. Uh, until next week, guys, as always, you can still stay upright. Feel this sweet sensation.